Appreciate Brother Billy leading that song for us. And of course, our lesson will deal with temptation that we'll look at in just a few moments. Uh, it is encouraging upon the first uh, Sunday, the first Lord's Day of the year, to look out and see so many folks gathered with us uh, this Lord's Day morning. Uh, we do appreciate you being here. Uh, it's an encouragement to us. Uh, as members of the Olive Branch Church of Christ, and we want to be an encouragement to you if you're visiting with us. If you're already members of the body of Christ and you're looking for a church home, we hope that you have found your place. We know you have, you just have to convince yourself of that. Uh, we're carrying on a great work here and we want you to be a part of it. Uh, I know you, like me, we've been looking forward to Brother Mike to be able to stand up here and to preach unto us, and uh, he's, he's trying his best. He's praying. He's following the doctor's orders. Uh, but uh, in due time, uh, he'll be able to stand before us, because I know uh, you, like me, I'm ready to hear his voice. Uh, I turned on the radio this morning on the way here, 5.60 a.m. You can hear Brother Mike preaching uh, every Lord's Day morning, 5.60 a.m. on the uh, religious broadcast. And I was able to hear him preaching uh, God's word. And it's an encouragement. Uh, and uh, we look forward to him being able to stand before us once again. Uh, so if you're visiting with us, and it may be your first time, uh, just to let you know, uh, Brother Mike's one of our preachers. We have Brother Jared up front, who works with our youth. Brother Billy, who led our song service, is also one of our preachers. And uh, I preached for 20 years, but I told him, if you need me to, to help out in any way, just, just uh, let me know. And uh, so far, I've been able to, uh, to preach to each Lord's Day for about the last four or five Sundays. And uh, I appreciate you coming back. That's an encouragement to me uh, as well uh, to look out. But I know you're, you're not here just for me. We're here for one another as members of the body of Christ. Uh, we're a congregation that loves one another. Uh, and if it's your first time, you'll be able to see that uh, during our services and after our services as well. Maybe it's the new year for you and you're looking for a change in life. Uh, you haven't been a Christian, haven't been a child of God, and you're looking for those spiritual answers, uh, maybe a spiritual direction in your life. Uh, you'll find those answers here. Uh, as we look at what sin does to mankind and, and what the devil does through temptation, uh, if you have a Bible uh, with you, open up that uh, Bible and search the scriptures with us. Uh, and we want to encourage you to, to find your pathway back to God. And we'll give you guidance and directions from the scriptures as we search through them. As I mentioned, we've been blessed with a new year. A new year is going to be filled with opportunities. Uh, but it's also a, a, a new year, just like any year, another day, just like any day. Temptation is going to be there. And we have to be able to understand how to face those temptations. Uh, that song, Yield Not to Temptation, is it, very encouraging unto us. But if we don't feel any grievous sin coming our way, we may just read through those words. But those that have been battling with sin and knowing what it's done to your life, those words, I hope, have been encouraging to you. Not to yield to it, not to be overcome by it, because Jesus can help you through. And we'll see that again as we go through these scriptures. Uh, think about a man called Paul, uh, Saul of Tarsus. Uh, he was a sinner at one time and a saint at another. He was one that was fighting against God and God's people. Uh, as Saul of Tarsus, but he was one that, that God's grace and mercy was still extended to him. And he had that opportunity to obey the gospel and to become a child of God. And God used him as a, an apostle to the Gentiles to be able to take the gospel into all the world, to preach the gospel to every creature. And Paul was blessed to be able to do that. And the book of Acts can give us his journey. And there in Acts chapter 18, it talked about Paul being in Corinth. And there he would stay for about a year and a half, working with the people that were there in that town called Corinth, that seaport town. 
Now we get more of an indication of what these people are like in the book of Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians. And if you have your Bibles, let me encourage you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. But just to get you up to date, Paul loved mankind, he loved humanity, he wanted to bring them to God by, by any means necessary and following in the paths of righteousness and preaching the word of God. He stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, but as he moved on, the need was there for him to write a letter back to that congregation. That congregation of Christians became filled with sin. They yielded to temptation. They gave in to temptation. In chapter 1, the congregation was divided. Some wanted to follow Peter, Paul, Apollos, someone else. In chapter 2, they were divided because some wanted to follow after philosophies and others wanted to follow after Jesus Christ and the wisdom of God. Uh, in chapter 3, some wanted to follow <clears throat> the precepts under the old law or the law of Moses. And you can't follow the law of Moses and the law of Christ at the same time. The law of Moses had come to an end and Paul talked about that. In chapter 5, 6, and 7, it seems to indicate that they had a big problem with sexual immorality. And Paul would deal with fornication in chapter 5 of incest, a, a man with his father's wife. And in chapter 6, again, fornication. Chapter 7, marriage and being single and, and what to do. And, and Paul encouraging them, if you can stay single, stay that way because of the present persecution. And then he says, those that are married, he gave the guidelines for marriage in, in chapter 7 as well. In chapter 8, he would deal with the problem of those that were in the congregation that were high-minded. They didn't matter. It didn't matter to them if they offended the weak. And so Paul had to give them guidelines on how to work with meek, weak members of the body of Christ. And, and then in chapter 9, they questioned Paul's apostleship, but he verified it. He is chosen of God. He is an apostle, just like Peter. But in chapter 10 is where he wants to really hone in on temptation and what temptation can do to you. And you may think, well, it's not a big problem. But when Paul went into Corinth, he knew what the city was like, and he went in there with fear and trembling. But wait a minute, he's a man of God. Well, yes, he is, but he knew how ungodly that place was. And he knew the threats that would come against him in Christianity. But he took the gospel there anyway. He also knew that they had this big religion, this big temple. The temple had its temple worship, but the temple was also supported with 1,000 prostitutes, both men and women. Part of their religious service involves sex, fornication, adultery. <clears throat> we can see where some folks wouldn't argue against that, and that's why they probably filled the doors. But Paul knew he had to deal with people like that, that sexual mindset. And he'll even bring that up in, in chapter 10 as well. But he had to deal with the problems of immorality and sexual immorality. But he wants to go back and, and point out how the Jews were under the old law, but also point out that those things were written for our examples so that we don't follow in their steps. And so if you have your Bibles, notice in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul says, Moreover, brethren, I would not have you to be ignorant, how that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea, all did eat the same spiritual meat, and all did drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But many of them, God was not well pleased. Now, as children of God, and then Paul says, with many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be ye idolaters, as some of them were. 
Uh, as it was written, the people sat down to eat and drink, and they rose up to play. That is, on that particular situation and that particular account, Moses was upon Mount Sinai. God had called Moses to deliver the people, to guide the people. But Moses was upon Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments. And yes, he was there for 40 days, but does that mean that the people could still do what they wanted to and, and go back into a life of sin? God didn't want the people to do that. He was still testing their faith and their obedience. But while Moses was upon the mount, Aaron's thinking, Aaron, the brother of Moses, well, you know, we don't know what's become of him. But I'll tell you what, let me have your earrings, your golden earrings, any gold that you have, and we'll melt them. And they made a golden calf. And they bowed down and worshiped that calf. Aaron, you can lead us. We'll have this calf as our God. We'll worship this calf. But then what went along with that was their sexual orgy, lasciviousness. Uh, they rose up to play, as Paul says here, but it is more detailed than that. When Moses came down, he heard a ruckus going on. Joshua said, well, you know, he's thinking positively. Uh, maybe they're, they're, they're serving God or something. And Moses, he's shaking his head. I know what these people are like. I know what they're doing. Moses was upset. When he got down there, he saw what they were doing. Bowing down and worshiping a golden calf. And God just brought them out of the land of Egypt. Just performed ten uh, plagues and miracles before the people. And then here they're going to turn against God and turn against Moses and worship a calf. And then rise up and get drunk and have, have their sexual orgy. Paul says they rose up to play. Now Paul wants to bring that home because as I mentioned, they had temple worship in Corinth. Part of their worship was sexual immorality. It was fornication and adultery. These folks came out of that, and Paul is saying, you can't go back into that. You've got to worship the one and true living God, and you have to keep yourselves pure. So he goes on to say in, in verse 7, Neither be idolaters, as some of them were. As it was written, the people sat down to eat and drink, and they rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed, and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted, and were destroyed of the serpents. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured, and were destroyed of the destroyer. And then Paul says, all these things happen unto them for examples, that they are written for our admonition, upon whom the end of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth, take heed lest he fall. And then these encouraging words, there has no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God, who is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. Paul says a lot of words in verse 13. But it's words of encouragement. Because Paul knows how the Corinthians are, and he knows they're going to try to, to argue with him or, or discuss with them, Paul, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know the temptations that come upon my life. You don't know what I'm faced with every day. Well, yes, Paul knows what they're going through because these temptations are common. But first of all, what Paul wants to point out to them is we need to recognize temptation for what it is. It's a trap. Now, we know about traps. We know that there are hunters that set traps. Hunters will do this to capture animals, maybe for food, maybe for their fur, maybe because these animals are destroying their livestock or their land. But traps are set, and we understand what traps are. But on the other hand, when we think of the enemies of God's people, there are those that lay traps for God's people. If they know you're a Christian, they want to test your faith. It doesn't matter whether you're young, middle-aged, or older. They want to test your faith. 
oh, you're a Christian, you're a child of God. They know, well, you're not supposed to cuss and drink and swear and, and, and go out and be involved in, in immoralities and sexual immoralities. And so what they want to do is lay a trap for you. Well, young folks, it might be we're having a party. Other folks, it might be, well, there's something going on down at the club, down at the bar. Why don't you come with us? You know, you, you believe in God and God's a God of grace and forgiveness, it, it won't matter. They're laying a trap for you, young or old. They want you to be involved in that. Why don't you take this drink? No, nah, I don't want it. Well, just take one sip. Why don't you smoke this? No, nah, I don't want to do that either. Oh, come on. The peer pressure that they want to put, put upon you. Or the drugs that might be there. Or, or the loose sex that may be going on. Uh, Satan wants to lay a trap for you. And Christians need to realize that temptation is a trap. They just want you to take that, that first step. And so we know that traps are set for God's people. In 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 7, when, when Paul wrote about the qualifications of elders and to make sure that Timothy at the church at Ephesus was going to make sure that the, these qualifications were kept and maintained, <clears throat> that those individuals that wanted to desire to become an elder or were already an elder. Uh, Paul talked about even these elders, that there are, Satan wants to lay snares for them. And so in verse 7 of 1 Timothy chapter 3, Moreover, he, the elder, must be of a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Because, yes, we, we, are, we appreciate the men that are over us as elders, but elders have, have an influence as well. They have a reputation to keep as well. Are they godly men over a godly flock? Now we know that there are some congregations that have elders where some are just so lazy they don't care what's going on. You know, as long as the doors are open, the preacher's preaching and, and money's coming in and everybody seems to be happy, uh, they, they just let it go. We know on the other hand there are elders that take it to the other extreme where they're like a diatrophies, a, a dictator. They want to lord it over the flock and, and they want to make sure that everything is done their way and, and many times it's not God's way. <clears throat> but their way. And the Apostle John had to deal with that in, in his short letter of 3 John uh, of someone who wouldn't want to receive faithful brethren in the congregation. But you see, if we're a, a congregation of God's people, we have to follow in, in God's footsteps and the paths of righteousness. And elders have to make sure that that is maintained. And we're thankful that we have elders here that make sure that the word of God is taught and preached and Bible class or in worship or on the radio broadcast as we take it throughout the world. Because Satan would love nothing more than to corrupt the eldership. Because if he can corrupt the eldership, he can corrupt the congregation as well. So Satan wants to lay a trap for elders. He also wants to lay a trap uh, for those that are Christians or even people there in the world. If you have your Bible, look at 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verses 24 through 26. 2 Timothy 2 verse 24 through 26. As Paul wrote this second letter to Timothy... He said, And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, and meekness, instructing those who oppose themselves, if God preadventure will give them repentance to the acknowledgement of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. Again, we talk about temptation, those that are caught in the snare of the devil, those that are taken captive by him, by the devil, at his will. But here, Paul is dealing with those who work with people who oppose themselves. Uh, they may seem to think that they're, they're not even worthy enough to be a friend of anyone or worthy enough to be accepted or even worthy enough to be saved. And so Paul is saying those who minister unto them, do it gently. 
Be gentle toward these who oppose themselves. That is, as well, teach them the word of God to try to show them that, yes, they can change, and yes, they can repent. Now, we have perhaps known of some folks that are so caught up in sin and they think they messed their lives up so much that God cannot forgive them or God would not forgive them. They oppose themselves. They don't think there's any hope. And so when we know of folks like that, we at least want to be a, of a godly character where they can believe what we say, that we follow a God that cares for us. And we follow a Savior that cares for us, and He looks out for us, and He blesses us each day. Not that we're perfect, but when we fall short, we have a loving Savior that is there to help us up and, and to bring us back. And so when we deal with folks who oppose themselves and are almost ready to give up, Paul says, be gentle. Show them that there is a way, get, a way back. Show them that, yes, here's the one that we can read of in the Scriptures that even killed God's people. He called himself the chief of sinners, if it were possible, the one called Paul. Uh, Saul of Tarsus, and he said, if God is able to forgive him, surely God's able to forgive someone else. And he said, it's a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Jesus Christ came in the world to save sinners, uh, of whom I am chief. And that, that's what Paul said. And so we encourage folks that, yes, you can have faith in God and in Jesus Christ. You can trust God. He knows what your future beholds. I don't, you don't, but God knows what your future beholds, and, and it's not as bad as you think. Now, the consequences of sin may be different, but it's not as bad as you think. And you encourage them, don't give up to where you take your own life. And so we see that, that there is a trap. Temptation needs to be recognized that it is a trap. Satan wants to trap you. He wants you to get your, your foot in sin. And then he may devour your whole being. But the second thing that we notice and want to recognize about temptation is the source. First of all, it's not God. Some folks, Christians, non-Christians, they think because sin is in their life or they gave in to temptation, they think God is the one tempting them to sin. But notice what James says in James chapter 1 and verse 13. <clears throat> he says, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But some folks think God is tempting them to sin. Oh, God just wants me to be better. God just wants to see how faithful I am. And God's tempting me to sin. No, God wants you to be faithful and he wants you to be obedient. He wants you to glorify him in your words and your actions, but God is not going to tempt you to sin. Now, God may test you. He may build up your faith, your patience, your obedience in different situations. God may allow different situations, but get it down big, black, and bold, straight. God does not tempt you to sin. But I've come across folks that, that believe that, and I hear about folks that believe that. Uh, someone in prison, without parole, a mother and her daughter was breaking in his house, and he killed them. He went to a religious service in, in, in the prison complex, and he came back still complaining. And he said, if God would have killed them before they got to my door, I wouldn't be here right now. That's the way he was thinking. It's God's fault, blaming God for tempting him to, to kill this mother and daughter. The story goes a little bit deeper. They lived with the man. The man kicked them out. And then they came back for their stuff and he killed them. But he said, you know, if God would have killed them, I wouldn't be here. The response to that individual was, if God killed you, they'd still be living. May not have been the right response. But the man was thinking, you know, it's God's fault. Adam did that. God, it's your fault. You're the source of my temptation. The wife that you, the woman that you gave me, she caused me to sin. That, that blame game. Everybody wants to blame someone else for their sin. And some people even want to blame God. And that's what Adam did. God, the woman that you gave me, 
caused me to eat. Uh, we're lucky and thankful God was patient because Adam still needed to grow more in wisdom and in understanding. But he was thinking, God, it's your fault. But James makes it plain. <clears throat> when it comes to the source of our temptation, uh, it's not our sovereign God. Some people might even think that it's the Savior. That's where we might be a little bit patient with them. Now, let's get this straight. Our Savior was beaten, battered, bruised, blindfolded, hit, spit upon, a reed that was in his hand. They took it. They beat him with it. They scourged him. They nailed him to a cross for sin. And you think the Lord who died for sin is going to tempt you to sin? It, it doesn't make sense. And we try to say that with, with you know, loving kindness. The Lord who died for your sin is not going to tempt you to sin. And the Lord... For Christians who forgave you of all your sin, why would he tempt you to get back into sin? Jesus knows the cost of sin. And so when it comes to temptations, we know that some folks aren't thinking right. They may try to blame God. They may try to blame Jesus Christ. Uh, some, they may not even know much about the Holy Spirit. Well, maybe it's the Holy Spirit's fault. Well, Paul answers that in Romans chapter 8 and verse 14. Many of you are led by the Spirit. Uh, you're sons of God. The Holy Spirit is going to lead us by his word. The same word, it is the words of Christ, and it's the words of God. The Holy Spirit is not going to lead you into sin. The Holy Spirit is not going to tempt you to sin. And so then we look at some other choices. If it's not God, it's not Jesus Christ, it's not the Holy Spirit, then yes, we already know it, it's Satan. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 4. Uh, Matthew chapter 4 and verse 2. Uh, there Matthew records for us when Jesus went into the wilderness... For 40 days and 40 nights, he didn't eat, he didn't drink. The tempter came, tempting him. And then Jesus tells us who this tempter is in verses 2 and following. That it's the devil. He tells the devil to get thee behind me, Satan, because you don't care about the things of God. And so here's Jesus overcoming these temptations that come his way. And he lets us know the source of those temptations. That it's Satan. That it's Satan who wants to tempt people to get caught up into sin. And it's Satan who wants them to live in sin and to die in sin so that they can be destroyed for eternity. Yes, the source of temptation is the devil. But then the devil has his followers. Jesus described them in John chapter 8 and verse 44. The religious leaders, they were of their father the devil and the works of their father you will do. Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 1 and following. Paul talked about those who were followers of the devil, children of disobedience. Uh, Romans chapter 1, when Paul wrote to the church at Rome, he listed sin after sin in Romans chapter 1. And he even concluded in verse 32 that they which do such things know the judgment of God, but they have pleasure in those things that they're doing. The, the, the sins and the iniquities and the disobedience that they were caught up in. Yes, Satan is the source of our temptation, but Satan works through other individuals as well to try to cause us to sin. The third thing we need to recognize about temptation, and that is its appeal. Yes, it is appealing. That's why Paul wrote in Romans chapter 1, verse 32, after he had listed so many sins, these folks are having pleasure in that sin. But it's so pleasurable, they don't care about God's judgment. They care, they care about the here and the now. And so temptation is appealing. Sin is appealing. Sin is pleasurable. The scriptures do not deny that. But they want people to understand the consequences of sin. And we'll talk about that in a few moments. But notice its appeal. In 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15, John tells us about this sin, that it's the lust of the eyes, it's the lust of the flesh, that it is the pride of life. Those who do such things are not of the Father. Uh, 
and 1 John chapter 2 and, and verse 16, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. The lust pass, or pardon me, the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Those who lust after this world, the love of God is not in their heart. And that's what John is talking about there. God loves them. God wants to be a part of their life, but because they love sin so much and its appeal, they get involved in it. But here John tells us that it's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. If we break this down and we look at the devil using the temptation and its appeal, he's going to use these three avenues. And as Paul told the Corinthians, there's no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. Satan is going to use temptation. He's going to use these three avenues to tempt each and every one of us. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. When it comes to our flesh, it's those desires. It's those passions. It's those sinful things. And as Paul said in Romans 1.32, folks have pleasure in those sins. Whether it's immorality or sexual immorality, they're going to have pleasure in that sin. And they don't care about the, the judgment of God Almighty. Uh, you think about how Satan used David. David already had a few wives, several children. But you see, those few wives still weren't enough. So Satan had already laid a trap for David because God says when you do have a king over you, make sure he doesn't multiply wives. Saul didn't do it, but as we see, David did it. And then Solomon did it. But David had a trap laid before him by Satan. The wives he had wasn't enough. There's Bathsheba. Look at Bathsheba. And then David's lust took over, the lust of his flesh, his desires, his passions. He wanted to know who this woman was. He had this woman fetched for him, brought to his house. And then he committed his sins with her. So we see the lust of the eyes and the lust of flesh carried out in David's life. But then there's also that pride of life. It's just like the apostle Peter. And we can spend a day talking about Peter and the traps that were laid for Peter. Uh, we'll save that for Brother Billy on Wednesday night as he's studying about Peter. But Satan laid traps for Peter time and time again. One of those traps involved his pride, his ego. Because it seemed like every time Jesus talked about dying, Peter and the other apostles would argue about who's going to be greatest. Well, yes, the Lord talks about dying. He, he talks about being killed. And if, if he does, which one of us is going to take his place? Which one of us is going to lead this group? Peter's arguing, James and John are arguing. Even James and John got their mother involved and the mother was saying, Lord, grant that these my sons may sit one on your left hand and one on your right. And the Lord said, that's not for me to give, but my father only. But Lord, if you're talking about dying, somebody needs to take your place. And so what was Satan doing with Peter? Laying a trap for him, his ego, his pride. That is, he thinks he's probably the greatest of these apostles and one of the earliest ones that was chosen. Whatever went on in his mind, Satan's feeding that along the way. And then here's Peter falling into this trap by Satan and its appeal, the pride of life. Uh, yes, you can be great, but Jesus would talk about true greatness to Peter as well. <clears throat> pardon me, you'd have G, uh, pardon me, Satan who would lay a trap for Judas, one of the other apostles. And when you look at that trap as well, Judas had a problem. It was money. And you see, money is a problem of a lot of folks. And if Satan can get you to love money, then he's laid that trap and you fell into it. Some folks want money by any means necessary. Steal for it, kill for it, lie or cheat for it. As long as they got money, they think that's going to satisfy them, but then they don't have enough money. They want more money. Well, we know that Judas loved money. 
And we know that Judas had some other problems as well. It may have been the pride of life. It may have been the lust of the flesh. But we know he sold the Lord for 30 pieces of silver. Satan laid the trap for Judas. Judas fell into it. Judas stayed in it. All the way up into the point where he ended up taking his own life. You see, he was overcome by grief at least to one point that he did betray the innocent blood, Matthew 27 and verse 3. He did try to bring the money back and, and try to make things right, but the religious leaders, they accomplished their purpose. They had Jesus captured. They had him where he was going to be put on trial, and the next goal was to have him crucified and killed. Uh, you see, Judas just seemed to fulfill their evil passions. He tried to make things right. In Matthew 27 and verse 3, it talks about him repenting. It should be better translated, he regretted what he had done because he didn't fully repent of his sin because he went out and he took his own life. But you see, that's how far in a trap you can get if you allow yourself to do that. Satan lays a trap for you. He's a source behind that trap and that temptation. And sin is appealing. But you need to guard your heart. Just as our Lord and Savior, and, and our goal is to be just like Jesus. In John 14 and verse 30, he said, The prince of this world cometh, but hath nothing in me. We want to reach that point. No lust in my heart for fleshly things or, or that would appeal to my eyes or the pride of life. Jesus says he cometh, but he had nothing in me. And so temptation has its appeal. Fourth thing that we recognize about temptation is its consequences. Notice what James says in James chapter 1 and verse 15. Lust, when it is conceived, bringeth forth sin. And then we'll talk about sin when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Temptation has its consequences. It's not a sin to be tempted because Jesus was tempted. And we know the scriptures tell us he was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15. But when you look at temptation, it does have its consequences if you give in to it. But some folks, they're already setting their heart to give in to it with lust. There's certain things that folks want to do with their body, certain things that folks want to do with their eyes, certain things that folks want to do with their life that are against God's will. And so they have the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Or you look at it as, as Peter said in, in uh, 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 14, when he talks about some of these religious leaders and, and some of these folks, eyes full of adultery, the lust of the eye, that, that's all that they can see is sexual sins. And so Peter addresses that. He addresses, addresses immorality as well. And so you have these folks that are caught up into sin, but the consequences of the sin need to be understood. It, it falls under the wrath of God. And it falls under the judgment of God Almighty. Sin would, or pardon me, lust when it's conceived, it brings forth sin. Jesus never provided an opportunity for lust to come into his heart. And so Jesus could say, the prince of this world cometh, but he hath nothing in me. Yes, he can tempt Jesus, he can torment Jesus, he even had Jesus killed, but Jesus could still say, he's coming after me, but he doesn't have anything in me. And we're thankful that he was able to live his life in such a way, and that's our goal, to where we can say, the devil can come, but he has nothing in me. But we have to guard our heart, and we have to prepare our hearts. There are consequences of sin, as I mentioned. Satan wants to capture you, and he wants to captivate you. He wants to keep you under his control. And some folks think that, you know, there's just no way out. But yes, 1 John chapter 4 and verse 4, Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Satan is powerful. He has influences in the world, but he's not greater than God. 
You see, God can forgive you of any sin that you committed. And so that, that's the goal that you ought to have. Yes, Satan has captured you and conquered you and brought you into a life of sin, but it doesn't have to end that way, that you can repent of that sin. And we know why Satan wants to capture Christians, because he knows what Christians are like. Christians are ones who glorify God by their works. They're ones who influence other individuals by their godly character. The ones who, you know, preserve life, if you would, when you look at their godly influence in the world. But they're also like a light, innocent world. Uh, we need to realize that, yes, Satan wants to capture Christians. And that Satan wants them to be on his side. But it doesn't have to be that way as well. Sin has its consequences. Temptation also has its consequences. But there's also benefits in temptation. When we follow in the footsteps of, of uh, God and Jesus Christ, then yes, we can count it all joy when we fall into diverse temptations. Uh, sometimes early on in my Christian life, I read that. And I was, how, how can that be possible? How can there be joy in temptation? Where there's joy in knowing that God's on your side. God is in your heart. He's greater than your heart, and he can help you overcome any temptation that Satan wants to throw at you. And we can also recognize that when we're in temptation, we can endure it. God being with us, God providing us with a means to endure prayer and being patient and waiting upon the Lord. God providing a way of escape, that there is a way out. That way of escape might be simply saying no. That way of escape might be simply running like Joseph did when Potiphar's wife uh, wanted to commit sin with him. That way of escape may be simply avoiding sin altogether. If you have a problem with alcohol, don't go around alcohol. You have a problem with women, then don't go around loose women if you would. If you have a problem with drugs, don't go around people that, that take drugs or sell drugs. You know that if evil's out there, you can avoid it. But try your best to avoid it. Or pray to God to help you be placed in a different situation. But you see, there are benefits to temptations. We can endure it. We can escape it. And then the excitement that comes when you overcome temptation, it builds up your faith. It makes you stronger as a child of God. A greater influence toward those that are in the world. Temptation confronts us every day. But the folks that are here with us this morning, if you're a sinner, if you're not a child of God, and you've been overcome by sin and Satan, then why not make things right by coming to God? First, by putting your faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. He's the one that can help you each day that you live, and he's the one that can meet all the needs that you have. By putting your faith in him and the fact that he died upon the cross for you and for your sins. Repenting of your sins. That means changing your thought life, changing your life altogether, and not committing sin. Confessing Jesus Christ as being God's son. Romans 10, 9 and 10, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. And then being baptized. Peter said in 1 Peter 3, 21, baptism doth also now save us. Or Jesus said, when you preach it, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be condemned. Being baptized into Christ, going down in that watery grave of baptism, then you rise to walk in newness of life, being a new creature. Why not start the year off that way? By becoming a Christian, or maybe you're already a child of God, but Satan has trapped you and caught you in sin, and, and it seems like there's no way out for you, but yes, there is. As a Christian, you can come back in prayer. You can come back in repentance. You can come back confessing. And we can also pray for you. Whatever that need might be this morning, won't you come while we stand and while we sing?